0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today is my great pleasure, and you can already hear the chuckle in my voice, to welcome Justin Michael to the show. Welcome, Justin.
1: Hey, great to be here. I always say uh, my life is like a uh, Don Henley lyric. That's why the
0: chuckles, I think, are already beginning. Justin and I became fast friends, I don't know, within the past year or so. He's the RVP of sales at UAPI. I think of him very much as a sales futurist. And that's going to be the topic of our conversation today is thinking about the future of sales, the future of sales development, the future of the software tech ecosystem. Just based on past conversations that Justin and I have had together, we will go all over the place. So just be prepared for that. But Justin, to get to know you, how do you learn or, you know, a favorite sales book or a favorite book in general? What are you reading right now? You take that anywhere you want to take it. Wow. Well,
1: yeah. So I obviously uh, have a lot of sci-fi references in my book. I wrote a blog post three years ago called Beyond Sales Development, uh, Sales Runner 2049. And luckily, Philip K. Dick, estate or huh, Ridley Scott, no one's come at me to take the name and I have a podcast called Beyond Sales Development. So I'm constantly looking for anything cool where the future is now. And I like the sales linguistics and the work of Steve W. Martin from USC who did heavy hitter IT sales. So I love Jeff Tull, Mastering the Complex Sale. I love New Power-Based Selling by Jim Holden eFox method, which the original title was Confessions of an Ivy League Street Fighter, but it was taken off. And I talked to Jim Holden and I talked to Jeff Till. So everybody I read, I talk with every single author in the world. And that's the coolest part of LinkedIn and getting to talk with you. <laughs> and
0: one of the things you said that you're interested, I think you said in sales linguistics. Yeah. What What does that actually mean?
1: But I found when I was 25, 26, 27 on the phone my mentors had sold the company to Oracle, which seems like common, but um, this was before like 100 million was nothing. But back in the day, it used to mean a lot. I'd say, Look, I'm 25. I got to call these presidents and CEOs. I'm scared. I don't understand their business. I don't. He's like, If you figure out how to speak and write, it will add 10 years. And I started studying Steve Martin, not like <laughs> Steve Martin from the movies, but Steve W. Martin, persuasion, Robert Cialdini, reciprocity, social proof. really interesting things in that book, which have influenced me. So then I went into the template game and I found Scott Britton who had cold email mastery, which is on Udemy. He's done 16,000 on that. But I found these systems by Brian Kreuzberger, where it was like a template, the appropriate person template. And I found it in Sandler too, is there's a ton of reverse psychology practitioners that get into the linguistics of how emails are forwarded, and the way bureaucracy chains work and waterfalls and organizations. And so I had these quad emails where I sent four people the same email and the bureaucracy in the organization produces a response because everyone forwards it. <laughs> so I was doing stuff like that 10 years ago. I had someone
0: prospect me one time and they sent to four other people, not me, should I be talking to Jeremy? If they had sent it to one person, I think that was a killer. You know, Speaking of how-to techniques, that still works. Did you send the exact same four emails to those four other people, or did you send them each something different a little bit?
1: You basically send these emails to like the VP of sales, then the director, then a lateral VP, and then maybe one flight down. And you send them all with the other three people named, and they all forward it around. And basically, the senior person forwards it to the junior person or less experienced person. And then you then sort of blind copy people in different ways, because you get delegated down. so most people get open CC'd and then they open CC in response. And it's that moment where everyone can look and be like, well, someone will take it, hot potato, and then no one responds. So he really goes into a ton of analysis on how to do forwarding, even changing forward to re, and it's just this whole method. Now, the thing went hyper viral. And what's weird is I started to check my own CEO's email and LinkedIn. It was like appropriate person, appropriate person, right? All day, about five, six, seven years ago. And that's where I started to establish linguistic meta frameworks. Everything in a lexicon has a meta. It's not what the words are. It's that in this portion, you know, there's a spectrum of tone or in this portion, there's a word count. It's not that it's an appropriate person. It's that you're trying to route And that's the meta of appropriate person. So I could rewrite any email and not make it sound like the template by just pulling out the meta of each piece of the linguistics and then remapping it. And then it's divergent because you don't want to send like I love Beck Holland and Josh Braun. But if you send their publicly available templates, everyone else is too. So pull out a lesson from the meta of each piece and then reapply it with your own verbiage. I don't know if that makes any sense, man. It does
0: make sense, and I mean, (laughs) even referring to like I love Beck's content. It's it's amazing. There's some tactical stuff like you need to segue from the personalization into your value prop. I think that's that's just gold that so many people forget to do. But the the bigger thing I think is when you personalize, there's almost like an escalation that's happening. That as machines get smarter and machines push some sort of common standard of what they can do, humans need to do that much more in order to prove that it was effortful and human.
1: That's so true, so I was talking with a CEO who probably doesn't want to be named because he's working on some awesome stealth tech, and I'm like, what happens when we pass the Turing test on email? Because I was involved in a startup called Outbound Works where we sent you know, 100 concurrent sales engagement platform campaigns. I had Sales Loft going, Outreach going, Replied I.O. going, and we tried to pass the Turing test by acquiring a Swedish sentence injection companies. You have to explain for folks what the Turing test is. The Turing test is Alan Turing. It's that point uh, which you've talked about, the uncanny valley, but it's when you cross it where they can't tell the difference between a human or machine writing it. And you can tell it came out of a sequencer because you have to have an opt-out link or an opt-out statement to say, hey, if you want to get off the list, right to be CAN-SPAM compliant. That's the thing. When I tell people I've sent a million emails, there's cries of like, you know, you're John Connor, this is Skynet. Like that's illegal and immoral. And ethical. I'm like, well, that's for a hundred companies, right? So I actually send under throttle I do about 1,000 contacts per month, which synthesizes about 50, 30 to 50 touches a day personalized. Well, we got sentence injection, So in the outreach custom fields or sales loft custom fields, we could inject sentences that were cobbled with AI about common connections, firmographic, demographic, psychographic. And once you've layered all three of those, it's very hard for the human receiver to see that it's not written by a human. But your work has inspired me a step further because we're three years ahead now. And I talk about hyper-personalization a ton. And you said it yourself, you can have a machine go to minute 616 in the YouTube video and pull out a nugget. But then to to tie the context on page 135 of your book to something that I see in your 10K, forget about it. That's the supercomputer. So one brain is worth all human compute right now, but it's not for long. And if we have Turing-tested emails where it can fool you, the FTC, Federal Trade Commission will say, hey, Jeremy, this is my AI. Email sent by Justin's AI. This is not written by a human. Or I call you with an NLP, or if I deep fake you. So if we're sitting here having a conversation, I morph my face into Chewbacca, or I just morph into Obama and start speaking with you. We have the tech to do that. It's in TikTok, Nemoji. I can totally fake out who I am. I could be Gary Busey talking to you, but I would have to have a logo that says AI.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that. There comes a point where you need to disclose that you are an AI. It's fascinating though, that the FTC has not yet done that for influencer marketing. Why do you think that, that the FTC would do that for AIs when they haven't been able to, well, they haven't yet, I guess, done that for influencer marketing.
1: So exactly how you're talking about futurescaping is what I always do. And it's, un, it's uncanny for people as I move from 2022 to 2035, 2050 to post-singularity, right? What happens here is it's always amusing when the government interviews the leaders in technology and they'll say things like, so, um, My wife's in the grocery store, you know, buying Cheerios and you're listening. Well, listening means that there's an IP address. Nobody's listening to any it's like there's this all this fear and consternation about advanced technology. When millennials get into power and there's regulation and people are regulating the technology industry who understand it maybe a little bit more. And I'm not saying that there aren't folks who are sharp as a tech. I'm just I'm literally watching some of these depositions and blown away by some of the questions, which just show a basic misunderstanding of mobile and the internet and what Philip K. Dick said is any advanced enough technology looks like magic, <laughs> right? Fire or the wheel. So yes, I think eventually it would be regulated. So what's going to happen now is a space race to get email personalization, unfortunately, to fool the prospect. There's going to be no way to tell if it was written by a human or machine. Very soon here.
0: Do you think that it's the usual suspects who will get there first, or do you think it's going to come out of somewhere unexpected?
1: I think it's unexpected. There's a company called Ample Market out of MIT, out of Lisbon Mafia, out of Y Combinator. Uh, They're incredible. They have automation across all the social platforms. I won't name those platforms because I know there's very strict terms of service and there's ways to do this in less detection. I always warn people, well, if you're successful and you can automate something, you might get your wrist slapped, right? But I've been successful at this with some hacks, right? So I once had access to an entire database of a company and I was throwing an event and I owned all the emails on opt in. So I had 300,000 emails in the history of the company. I took a sequencer, groove.co at the time, and I put a one word sentence in just the title and it said, Hey, we're doing a VIP event at Mobile Congress. Who should be on the list? That's it, one sentence. And then I nested it like a little opt out somewhere below. I sent it to 300,000 people. I had the CEO of the biggest gaming companies on earth, unreachable people firing back, ah, Susan should be on there, no, you gotta get this. It was insane, I got 75,000 replies on the one email. I, I've never seen anything like it, it was, it was just flooding. My chief customer officer came over and was like, did I really authorize you to do this, you know? But it was great, I and mean, we had business deals coming in out of it, we had all sorts of people that had forgotten about us, but no one, no one realized, and the reason is, visceral gut reactions, you have 15 words between your subject line, and your preview text. And that's why the greatest sin is hope you're doing well. We need a 10-year moratorium on pleasantries.
0: (laughs) I I did look recently, by the way, at at hope or hoping. And at least for now, that empathy was quote-unquote working. You had whatever, you know, correlation with a 10 or 11% increase in reply rate. But the more of those hope you do well, hoping you're well, that you see, It begins to actually wash out because it becomes disingenuous. So it is there is a uniqueness factor. And I I I guess that's something that the AIs need to factor in as a critical criteria is like just because something's working right now, if you continue to do that over and over and over again, you will actually sort of burn yourself out even faster. So the AI almost needs to optimize for some degree of variety in approach.
1: Yeah, so because I've worked in mobile ad tech and marketing and marketing technology, I've been working out at Tel Aviv, which is a hotbed for machine learning and artificial intelligence. And we help companies buy media at massive scales, tens and tens of millions on Facebook and Google. And uh, the last company I worked with had deep learning AI and creative AI. And they could basically, running Facebook campaigns at scale, You could hand off the campaigns to artificial intelligence and create autonomous campaigns that learned from what you were doing, that analyzed the history of the bids and budgets and the creatives you were running, and could automatically move the campaigns while you were sleeping. So if something became expensive, it suddenly throttled it down. So when I look at sequencer technology now, and I'm running six A-B tests on a subject line, what if the technology could start to throttle? Right, if I run sentiment analysis on my replies, let's, let me take the the journey here for listeners. I got a lot of replies on Cadence One. Well, there's forty replies. Cadence Two, I have twenty, but Cadence One, out of the forty replies, thirty five are unsubscribed. <laughs> cadence Two, out of the forty replies, you know, twenty are take a meeting. That's a lot better. So there's sentiment analysis to do that so if we're seeing the sentiment's good it could start turning off the first cadence and it could start learning now it could have benchmarking and start looking at all the sellers on your team and then it could have agreements where it can look across the whole industry or you know some based on some of the experiments you do with six million data and then it could autonomously move and learn and this is future thinking um i am not spilling a roadmap i'm just taking it from available technology that's in uh mobile media buying and thinking about when I'm running some big campaigns inside uh, Cadence.
0: I was talking to another uh, futurist, Greg Rays, RAIZ. He's got some amazing videos on AI in on YouTube. One of them is, will AI replace programmers? And he, he shows examples of this new open source AI library called GPT-3 where it can generate code dynamically for you. It can also do a ton of other things, would probably be leverageable in the sales context we've been talking about. But one thing he talked about, at least for now with GPT-3 is, in many instances, you don't necessarily want it to just run autonomously, because even with the code, like the human needs to look at it and make sure what it generated actually makes sense. Or if it was pulling out minute seven, of a podcast that you had done, or a video, or what have you, to contextualize an email, like the humans should still look and make sure that that actually makes sense. Of the you know of the technologies that you've been working with, where they're doing automation around Facebook and and so on, like is it still is it the case that the human needs to look, or it's okay to let it run autonomously? It's
1: it's really interesting. So I I believe we're in a self driving Uber environment. I think the calibration phase, when you're training the machine and the algorithm, and there needs to be periodic watching the watchers and you have to look in, especially talking again about linguistic, if the things go dark or negative or you know, some of these AIs, the bots running wild, as Tony Hughes calls it, where, you know, you let the thing go and it goes down a dark corner of the internet. You don't want that. What was interesting about the way it worked in large scale media buying is the AI kind of just picked up evergreen motions. It kind of just kaizen slowly improved things that weren't as hard, freeing up the human to try much bolder, harder things like switching out the creative or running a total different style of video ad, stuff that it couldn't co- possibly conceive or create. But the daily management of just ups and downs and bids and budgets and moving campaigns and ad sets and ads around, it could kind of handle it, could be trained to a point where it could be trusted, which is crazy. I don't know for writing, much like the game of Go, as opposed to, you know, Watson beats somebody in Jeopardy. Okay, Go that <laughs> has. Nearly infinite permutations the game. So, to train an AI to win that, it's pretty crazy hard, you know? So, uh, I wouldn't unleash an AI anytime soon to just fully write your sales emails and prospect for you. But Thomas Tungas, I'm going to pronounce it wrong from Redpoint Ventures, he talks about the CRM of the future being far more valuable than CRM now. And I've always talked about AIs buying and selling at the speed of high frequency trading. So, SDRs go away. Maybe 2050 post singularity, just move down funnel. They become inside sellers again. You know, the 70% of the job now that can be automated is automated. And all you do is you just sit there, sort of like in Connect and Sell, and it goes, dude, and you're just like in a conversation. You're buying AI and selling AI, matchmaking you across the entire world. You show up in VR and holography. This whole idea of like smartphones and cell phones, another conversation maybe is gone. Like Google Glass is, is accurate, wearables, IoT. It looks more like minority report, like ergonomically, there's no reason to have 8 billion people attached to a prosthetic uh, third appendage. Like the idea of a phone is as it's horse and buggy, like a typewriter, you know, our grandchildren will not have smartphones on their bodies uh, like we do.
0: You just mentioned the one vision of the future where SDRs go away. I know from talking to you and reading some of the content you put out there, you have another vision about hyper-specialization can you can you talk a little to to that and how those things fit together?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't want to scare anyone because what's actually happening is uh, six hundred thousand XDRs, and I say XDR for sales development rep, MDR, BDR, LDR, right? That progression of the XDR continues to become diversified. And um, if you can think of how Aaron Ross talked about the Henry Ford for the supply chain, you have openers and closers. Well, we're going to the Moneyball era where context switching and tasks is just too vast. There's a company called Science without an S. I want to give them credit: C I E N C E. Eric Quanstrom, John Girard, some really smart people over there innovating great ideas in this regard. especially what's Moneyball? Someone's awesome at social media. That's all they do. Someone's great at reply management. That's all I do. Someone's a researcher. And you could literally just look at the skill set and strength. Like mine might be just banging the phone all day, calling strangers, rapping with them about different stuff. So you have subspecialization, which is a trend. I don't think we replace humans with AI for like decades, maybe not even our lifetimes. But I think it's that Jarvis Iron Man suit. It's thinking like Tony Stark. And that's what I love about platforms like Sales Loft, like Sales Navigator, like Gong and Chorus that are predictive and That's the big move right now. We're going to go from a static and dynamic systems to predictive analytics and big data. I could go really deep on that one. If we were
0: to do a word cloud analysis, I think on what we've talked about so far, the word right might be the most frequent. W-R-I-T-E might be the most frequent thing we've talked about. So on, on that note, the way we got engaged was you were writing a book. I think you're probably pretty close to the the finish line of that book. What It was called TQ before, and you have mentioned TQ. So what is TQ, and, what, and is that still the name of the book?
1: Yeah, I have two weeks to finish it and for the ink to dry. How did I close a legit top five publishing deal in a pandemic? I'm a good salesperson. No, that's not the answer. My mentor, Tony Hughes, is already a best-selling author in Australia. He wrote The Joshua Principle. He wrote Combo Prospecting. I was one of the case studies in it. Um, I was talking to Steve Richard of Vorsight, and I was running a bunch of ideas by him and he's like, look, man, you need a book. You can't just be a case study. You need your own thing. So I was like, well, what about this? I was sitting down and thinking about all the SDR teams and AE teams and all the companies I've been in. And for the last five years, every single one has had Sales Navigator. It's had either Lead IQ or Zoom Info or Seamless AI. And then it's had Sales Loft, Outreach, Zant, Groove. Those are the big four. That's core stack. Some have had a lot of other additives. And then I thought, well, what makes you good at these platforms? Well, the people that rolled up their sleeves, went to the university online, took training, figured it out from sales ops. And I was like, well, where do you go get trained on the tech stacks? Well, there's this book by Max Altshuler in 2015 called Hacking Sales. So I read that. I'd already read it. I read it again. And that's a time where we're all in point solutions. It's like you're kind of running normally. You have Gmail. You have a Yesware. You have a Tout app. This stuff got you know, acquired it or is morphed. I isolated from psychology today this thing called TQ, which is technology quotient. And just like you can upskill your IQ, or you can become more empathetic in your EQ, you can actually improve the fusion between UI, UX, and your brain. And it's really kind of crazy, because I started on Adobe Photoshop in like 92, 93. I had a graphic design business. I knew Kai Krauss from Kai's Power Tools. I used to take courses at night at UCSB. I like won a little competition for. I took an old school camera and painted the camera with stills from Godzilla on an ANSI camera, and it took hours of tracing and layers and all these different overlay effects. And it'd be very easy today, but I think that's where my love affair with UI and UX came in. So like we're both outrunning a bear and I have a moped, and you have the best running shoes on earth. Unless you're Usain Bolt, there's no way. I'm going to (laughs) win. And so two reps who have the same opening closing skills and the same hard and soft skills, maybe they're both President's Club or however you measure them, the one that masters the technology will have superhuman scaling. So then I realized that everybody was remote in the pandemic, and everyone has a stack. And that's why I talk about MacGyver stacks and Ironman stacks and Jarvis stacks. Basically, if all you have is a Gmail and a cell phone, there's still enough publicly available free stacks that you can still do some automation. And then you go all the way up to the Lars, Lars Nilsson and, and sales source like Cloudera Vision. Uh, he ran worldwide sales at Cloudera. And he's saying that like high growth companies, about 15% are spending $1,000 per rep per month on sales technology. So then I went to some research, Aragon research, which I've never heard of. I know Aragon from, I think, J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> My dog saying hi. Is they say that there's going to be 5 billion poured into the SEPs, the the sales engagement platforms, and adjacent tech by 2023. So you have the Andreessen concept of software is eating the world. Funding rounds are the biggest ever. 40% of them are over 100 million. And so you have vast armies of untrained SDRs being scaled up. And you have to have all this advanced technology. And what can they do? They can become 1% better, 5% better with their tech stack, less technology avoidance. So when I pitched the book, it was TQ. If you, think you walk through the airport, Jeff Toll's book, what is that? So we changed it to uh, tech-powered sales. And the way we did it was crowdsourced survey data. We um, sent a survey to about 1,500 VPs of sales, and it was either tech-powered sales or sales hacker. And then I had to like educate the publisher, like, no, that's Max Altschuler's brand. <laughs> we can't use that one. But yeah, that, that's the story.
0: Tech-powered sales is, is a super awesome title. And I hope that when we all return to airports, we see it. We we have to leave it at that, even though I have many more questions and I think we haven't even scratched the surface on like, you know, there's this future of the SDR world where we automate a lot of way. What about for AEs and for CSMs and so on? So that'll have to be a topic of the next podcast. For people who want to learn more about you, connect with you, you know, ultimately buy your book. As well, which I will be, the, you know, hopefully the first one to get a copy off of Amazon. Thank you. On my Kindle. What's the best way to do all that?
1: Yeah, it's just going to be available on Amazon through HarperCollins, through Barnes and Noble. Um, it'll probably eventually make it back to airports. We kind of delayed it. We're, you know, we, we're hoping for the best again, hope, and uh, it'll pre order in October. I'll be blasting it out. So, love for you to visit me there. I'm just uh, Justin Michael on LinkedIn. And my co-author, Tony J. Hughes, is uh, you know, one of the most well read in B2B. I'm just really grateful for the times flew by, you know, like quantum leap. I, I want to go do it again. <laughs> I could talk to you for three hours. As always, what a blast. Well thanks, Justin. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: Hey, salespeople, it's a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. Peter Lepinto is our editor. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.